Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to the Chabura, and thank you for joining us for the final installment of our unique public series, Misconceptions 2.0, with our Rosh Bet Midrash, Rabbi Joseph Dweck. In this series, we unpack and offer a perspective on key terms and concepts in our Torah. Uh, specifically tonight, we will be diving into the concepts of Chet and Mitzvah. Uh, for those who missed the earlier series, do not fear, all of our shiurim are recorded and available on our website. And once you are on our website, I highly recommend checking out and all that we offer, and join us. Uh, with that said, thank you all for joining us live and on Zoom, and all those who will watch after. Uh, thank you so much for being. The floor is yours. Thank you very much, Rav Ohad. Uh, very much appreciate the introduction as ever, and for everyone who's here, both in person and virtually. Okay, so we, we are talking about two concepts tonight which we should really never do in one shiur because they are huge concepts and each one really should have its own shiur, which means that given the time that we have, they are going to be treated in a more truncated way than I would like to treat them. A mitzvah, to understand mitzvot in and of themselves is in, it, in, it, in itself at least an hour, right? To be able to really get and understand what it is that it means. And of course, to understand what we call in English sin, also requires proper time in order to be able to deal with it. But they've been, but they've been crushed into one uh, shiur this time because I only have one. This is my last one with this uh, particular program. Uh, it's been lovely being able to unpack these ideas with you and uh, I've enjoyed it very much. So we will do our best in order to be able to try and understand this uh, as best we can. We will start with mitzvah because when we understand mitzvah, we can understand transgression of mitzvah much better. It's much more helpful to be able to have an idea of what it is that we're, we're dealing with when we say that a person has, has engaged in chet, engaged in chet with regards to what, right? Has transgressed what? So when we understand what a mitzvah is, it's better for us. It helps us. And if I can remind everybody, please to mute if you are on uh, Zoom. So we know we know one thing about the mitzvot, and that is that the mitzvot do not in and of themselves have inherent value. What I mean by that is a mitzvah maintains its status as a mitzvah when it retains the context within which it was given, or when it retains the, the, the construct, the basis within which it was given. And what that means is, is that the behavior of a mitzvah itself, if it is performed outside the general, and I, and I, and I stress general, right? Because it doesn't have to, you don't require a, a, a brilliant, uber-focused mind in order to be able to perform a mitzvah. You can perform a mitzvah. There's an argument, a very famous argument in the Talmud, whether mitzvot srichot kavana or not, right? Do you need to have kavana when performing mitzvah or not? And there's very strong opinions that hold mitzvot lo srichot kavana. Mitzvot don't need kavana. They don't need to have particular aim and understanding. All I need to do is be doing a mitzvah as a member of Klal Yisrael, right? You know, and a word for me. But what's important for me is to be able to understand that I am performing the mitzvot in a specific context. And that means that I need to have at least a broad sense of the context within which I'm performing the mitzvot. That's different than saying I need to have kavanah at the moment of the performance of the mitzvah. What it's saying is that my mindset in general, in terms of what mitzvot are, right, and why we have them, yeah, again, in very broad general terms, that I need to have a sense of as a Jewish person. And if, I, and I'm, if I'm unaware of that, or, or if I am a misunderstanding of it, right, if I believe it's something other than what it actually is, then there's problem, right? Then, then the performance of mitzvah, even with kavanah, is not necessarily a mitzvah, okay? So that, that's my premise that we're going to build on. And what we need to try and understand is, well, then what is that? Right? Well, what is that? Uh, a context or broad, broad sense we're supposed to have when we engage with ourselves. So before we talk about what it is, I want to show you that this is true, right? That the, the nature of the framework of a mitzvah, right? Or mitzvot themselves is important for us. The Torah presents it that way. So the first thing I'd like to look at with you is on, um, is on, I believe, the second page, the second 
side of the second page. It's, it's Exodus 19.3.8. Yeah. Okay. So what is this? This is straight out of the Chumash. And this is the story of Har Sinai. Right? Where HaKadosh Baruch Hu is about to give the Ten Commandments. Right? He's about to come down and give Torah to Israel. And it says as follows. Moshe, try to disregard the English, even though I'm sure you're very inclined to want to read the English while I'm reading Hebrew. Just listen to me and I'll, I'll read and I'll explain. Moshe went up to God. God called him from the mountain saying, this is what I want you to say to the house of Yaakov and the children of Israel. And then God proceeds to give him what seems like a preamble. Right? Before you say anything else about mitzvah, I want you to say this to Klausar. So this is its own, its own, in other words, its own charge by God to Moses. This is an instruction that he's giving him. And he says, this is what you say, kotomar. You saw what I did to Egypt. I carried you out on the wings of eagles. And I brought you to me. Now, if you listen to my voice, and you keep my covenant, you will be for me a treasure. Amongst all of the nations of the world, Kili Kola Aretz, I can make this decision because the entire land is mine, right? All the earth is mine. And so the nations are mine, the earth is mine, right? You will be to me a, a kingdom of roughly translated priests, but you know, I don't love that translation, but you are, you are the custodians of the world is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying to them, right? You are entrusted with being the stewards of the world. A Goy Kadosh, a sacrosanct nation. You'll be especially mine. Again, it says, these are the words, Asher Israel, that you will say to the children of Israel. So this is, it's, first of all, it's beautiful, right? HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in these few lines is saying to Moshe Rabbeinu what he wants the people of Israel to hear before they hear the mitzvot. So this is meant to do what? As you recognize, this is a preamble. He's saying, I want you to say this to the people of Israel. What is this meant to do? I'm asking, what is it? In, in what sense? What is, it, what, is it, what is the prep that it's providing? Focus. Is it focus? Focus on what? Uh, so couldn't he just say? Couldn't he just say? Uh, I can't do that. I'm sorry. Not in the middle of a conversation. I can do it when there's questions and answers, but it's very difficult to have conversation. Uh, the the it's not just focus because uh, the sukim could very then easily say sabri maranan. You know, pay attention. We're we're about to do something here. No, this is there's a whole there's a whole development over here. So what does that mean? What what is it? What he wants. Okay, and so what does that do for us? If we're if we're about to imagine you're the people standing there, right? You're the people that standing at the foot of the mountain. Moses comes down and says this to you. He's making an offer. Sorry, it's giving context. In other words, what it's doing is it's it's framing us for what we're about to hear. Right? is saying, "Listen, I'm your God. You're my people." It's you and me forever. I took you out on the wings of eagles. I brought you to me. You're my people. I'm your God. You keep my covenant. This is what you say. So what does that do? It sets the tenor for what's about to be said. Yes? Do you, do you accept that? Right. It sets the tenor for what's about to be said. So what I know is that whatever it is that's coming to me after this is fill in Right, it is it is development on it is elaboration on this concept. So the whole sitting, the whole Muhammad Har Sinai, is covenant, is relationship with God, is this mutuality between Him and us for all time. We're special to Him, and He's special to us. Right. Would you accept that reading? Right. Okay. So that's. That's what this is. So important is this, right? So if that's what it is, 
Imagine that Moshe gets this wrong. In other words, if it is so important that this tone be set, right, that this be the, the perspective, the definer, the qualification of what it is that's going to come afterwards, this has to be gotten right, right? You mean it has to be done properly because if, if it's misunderstood by the people, what does that do? It completely redefines the mitzvot and what it is that they're meant to be. Is what does that mean? It's conditional. Obedience, if you were Correct. When you say it, what do you mean? The uh, the offer of being treasure, of being of being uh, a king, the kingdom of a holy nation. That's true. That's absolutely right. So to me, that's more than just context. Ah, I see what you're saying. But it still sets the tone. Yes, it sets the tone. Okay, so that's that's what I want to recognize now. I think that you're right that they. Re- this is definitely a recognition that you know this is conditional on you keeping your side of the bargain, right? But it's only conditional until they accept. When they accept, the covenant is then established, right? In other words, the covenant is then established, and it could be that they are punished for not holding the covenant but the covenant is not abrogated. There's nothing that can be done to abrogate the covenant once the covenant is signed by God and Israel. And it is signed by God and Israel by the end, right? By the end of Parashat Mishpatim, it's signed in blood. Yeah, it is very important. But it's very important because what this is, is more than just that it's conditional. It is bilateral, right? It is not God saying, I'm doing this and you're going to like it. It's saying, God saying, I'm doing this if you accept. But if you accept, then we're in. If you don't accept, well, then, you know, you don't accept. But this is being given as an option to the right? And it is given in a very specific way. It's like Adosh Baruch Hu saying, it's me and you. I love you. He doesn't say that explicitly over here, right? But he says it elsewhere. My interest is in treasuring you. So it's not just owning you, right? There's treasury here. There's sacrosanct. There's speciality here. And HaKadosh Baruch is saying, I'm willing to do that. So this is setting the tone. Now, it's very important to recognize that the way that this is told is that the words have to be very specific. Because at the beginning, notice that it says in Pasu Gimal, it says, This is what you say. And it ends with, in Pasuk um, Vav, Right? So it's, it's flanked on either side by this is what you say. So Rashi picks up on this, right? Rashi, which is basically Midrash Chazal's in the Chilta. But what Rashi says is, this is what you say. Rashi says, you make sure to say this with these words in this order. And I want them to hear it specifically this way in this development. Yeah? And then it says again, don't you add anything and don't subtract anything. Say precisely this formula. And that is very important, I believe, to recognize that this is more than just a condition that's being put out. This is to frame the entire uh, uh, event, right? This specifically needs to be said in this way, not more, not less, in this order. Why? It is to set a very specific tone for everything that is going to come out. And if they hear anything else, we've missed it. So that's huge. That's huge. Now, what that tells me is that the mitzvot, as far as HaKadosh Baruch Hu is concerned, need to be presented in a very specific way. And if we start to look at the content of what this way is, it has everything to do with this mutual relationship. Right? Where HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying, if you agree to commit to me in this covenant, I agree to commit to you in this covenant. And so what it, it ends up being is that the misvot are, are means to, to being able to perpetuate and keep this covenant, right? That the mitzvot are HaKadosh Baruch Hu saying, you, of course, there's, a, there's an issue that you don't know. And that is, there's a big unknown here. And that is, you can say that you're committed to covenant with me, but you have no idea how to be able to connect with me. Why don't they know how to connect with God? 
Very simple. Because God is not a human. He has no relationship to humanity in his essence, right? In his being. And if we have no understanding of anything that is outside human, which we do not, right? We can't help but think like humans because that is the way that our brains work. Whatever it is that we discover, whatever it is that we think of, whatever it is that we conjure in terms of what we think should be the way that God uh, should be related to is always a human projection onto God. And it is never genuinely, we can never know really that that's what God wants. Are you with me on that? It's a very important point. So what do we need? We need God to tell us. So in that sense, a mitzvah is an act of love. By God. Why? Because if HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying, listen, I'm interested in having this covenant with you. You're going to be a treasure for me. You are special to me. You're sacrosanct. I want you to connect with me. And he says, and here's how. That is an act of love on God's part. That is God saying, I'm opening myself. And I'm telling you, this is what you can do. Which is a huge thing. That means it's an opportunity of a life. Every single mitzvah is an opportunity of a lifetime. Right? To be able to connect. And we'll see that in a minute. Right? That as far as the Rambam is concerned, you only really need one. We'll see that in a moment. But this is what and that's what this language of the Rambam is. We better understand now the language of the Rambam, which is why he says at the end of the Chot Umehavat Adonai Otanu Asa Moshe Rabbeinu Vehodiam Derech Avodato Because God loved us, he made Moshe and told him, this is how the people can connect with him. So that's explicit in the Rambam, that the mitzvot are an act of love of God. So I'm not just reading into it. We can understand it from reading this. It makes sense. But the Rambam says it explicitly. It's one of the few ways where the Rambam actually said it. A few times where actually the Rambam talks about HaKadosh Baruch Hu's love for us. Well, if that is the case, it also means that our performance of a mitzvah is an act of love as well. Which is why the Rambam, right, when he writes the second book of the 14 of the Mishneh Torah, he calls it Sefer Ahava. Because he starts talking about the mitzvot, the performance of mitzvot that we do on a daily basis. Right? So the Kriyat Shemaan, the Amidan, and Tefillin, and Mezuzah, and Sefer Torah, and all of these things. Right? These are daily engagements that we have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He calls it the Book of Love. Why? Because that's what these are. These are, these are acts of love. So we see that over and over again, the context for mitzvot is very important. Why? Because only if the mitzvot are done within that context that I recognize a mitzvah. Are they gone? Are, we, are they gone? No, they're on. They didn't hear you. Uh, okay, okay. All right. So I'm just trying to focus. So <laughs> it's hard for me. I'm trying. Uh, so they... they when we recognize that the mitzvot are, an, is, are essentially an act of love from God to us, and the performance of mitzvot is an act of love from us to him, love can deteriorate if the actions are performed for ulterior motives. Yes? In other words, if one does acts of love without the love, but for ulterior motives, because I think, you know, when I give you flowers, it makes you happy, so it helps me. Yeah, because apparently it's what you like. You like these funny little colored petal things. Yeah, I give them to you. Well, that could be problematic. Could be problematic. I mean, imagine if this was done to you by somebody that you loved, and you realize that they only do it because they're trying to get something out of you, not because they really care very much about you and what it is that the connection with you means how would you feel right so I'll give you a very minor example of this. let's say there's a, a a husband that gets his wife flowers every Friday the first few Fridays they get just got married gets her brings her Friday flowers home on a Friday before Shabbat how lovely it's wonderful does it the next Shabbat? Lovely, how wonderful. Does it every Shabbat for the next four or five years? 
What happens to that potentially? Potentially. It's just routine. It's, it's routine. Right. Right. Now, does it need to become routine? It doesn't need to become routine. Because what will make the difference is, is who is bringing me the flowers within which mindset, right? What is the excitement of it? What is the, the focus of it? How does this work, right? But if it's just like, okay, you know, you're ticking the boxes each week and you're going into it. Oh, boy. And you're going and doing your shopping, you know, it'll hopefully last day. And you're going and doing your shopping. And one of the things you always get on Friday afternoon is flowers. It begins to lose its luster. Yeah. Now, if it's worse than that, if you're bringing the flowers because you know you can manipulate the person by bringing the flowers to get what you want out of it, that's a bit worse, isn't it? Well, human nature <laughs> is not the issue here, right? Human, I mean, it is and it isn't. It is, it may be human nature, but that's also problematic, right? Because human nature is not in and of itself prime for healthy, uh, connected relationships. It's the hardest thing we do. It takes a tremendous amount of training for human beings to be able to be engaged in healthy, connected relationships, including with God. So uh, the reason I'm going through this with you is because if we understand the premise to be that the giving of mitzvah is an act of love from God and the performance of the mitzvah is an act of love from us, and that that's the nature of this context, right? That God doesn't have to speak so poetically and say, I brought you out in the wings of eagles and brought you to me, right? It's very romantic, right? It's very loving and beautiful and saying, listen, you know, you mean something to me. And us responding and saying, is also saying, you mean something to us. We're not even going to look at the details. We just want to be in it with you. That's love. Okay. So if we recognize that, we can much better understand some of the elements of the Nevi'im that basically were entirely sent because we were having problems keeping the mitzvot. And not only were we not keeping the mitzvot appropriately, we were cheating on God with other gods, which is what Avodazarai is. So you look at the majority of the Nevi'im, what is all every Navi coming to tell us? Stop cheating on God. You're in a covenant with him and you're worshiping other gods. That's horrible. And not only that, when you worship him, you're only doing it for your own benefit. Stop doing that. So the, one of the more scathing uh, Nevuot, right? One of the more scathing prophecies is the Haftarah that we read the Shabbat just before Tisha B'Av. It's called Shabbat Chazon, right? And Shabbat Chazon is called Shabbat Chazon because the Haftarah opens with the first chapter of Yishaya, which is Chazon Yishaya ben Amot. Banim gidalti veromamti right? I raised children and they rebelled against And in the middle of the Haftarah, it says something remarkable. It says, How is it that this faithful city uses the word as faithful, right? Like we would use it in our terms, right? As opposed to cheating. How is it that this faithful city became a harlot? And what is a harlot if not someone who performs acts of love for personal pain? And that's what HaKadosh Baruch was calling us. You're doing acts of love. Yeah, I see you're doing the mitzvot. But you're doing them as lehavdil, which is what? You're doing the acts of love, but you're not interested in what it is. You're not interested in me. You're not interested in what you're doing. Don't worry about it. Just stop. So you see things in the Navi like, take a look at uh, this paragraph just before the portion in Exodus that we read, which is Yeshaya. It's part of that haftarah. That first, that opening paragraph, uh, chapter in Yeshaya, in which God says very harshly, What do I need your sacrifices for? What do I need your slaughterings? I guarantee you, I am full to here. I am up to here, basically, God's saying, I'm up to here with your uh, animals and the fat of your lambs. 
I am not interested in the blood of all of your cows that you put up on my altar. Well, what do you mean you're not interested? I mean, all of Vaikra is filled with asking us for these things. That's what he says here. You know, you come to see my face. Who asked you to do this? What do you mean who asked you to do this? I mean, last time we looked at Vaikra, it's filled with asking us to do this. Remos Hatzerah, you trample my courtyards. You're basically trespassing all over my courtyards. You know what? Don't bother. Don't do it anymore. Don't bring any of these, uh, these minachot, these gifts to me. It's, a, it's an incense that is rejected by me. I, I, I reject this. I throw it out. Chodesh Shabbat, Kero Mikra. Your Rosh Chodesh, your Shabbat, all of the special times that you call, which are Yamim Tovim and so on and so forth. Lo chalavin I can't bear them. Your months, meaning the new moon, and your special times, Mu'adim are the holidays, the festivals. Uh, my soul hates it. It's a drag for me to have to deal with. It. Now, why does he have to deal with it? That's a beautiful part of this, right? Why is Akash Ruhim to deal with it? Just don't come. Because he's in covenant. He's got to deal with it. He's got to go through it with us. Yeah. But he's saying to us, I really don't like it. It's really a drag for me. And why is it a drag for me? It's a Torah, he says. It's literally, it's a drag, right? It's, 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 it's an exertion. Nel'edineso. So why is it such a, a, a problem for him? Notice that what it's saying here is not, you're not doing korbanot and therefore I'm upset at you. What it's saying is, I'm tired of your korbanot. I'm tired of your holidays. I'm tired of your korbanot. I'm tired of everything that you're doing. Why am I tired of everything that you're doing? Because you're a harlot. That's why. And I'm being forced to go through these things with you as though I actually want these things. I'm not interested in these. You think I'm interested in these, these, these four-legged creatures that you put up on your little altar there? The only reason I said anything about that in the Torah is because that's what you've got. So I gave you something that you had that you could use to be able to connect to me. You think I'm interested in the blood of your animals? Or I want a barbecue? I'm not interested in your barbecues. Go take your animals, take whatever it is that you have, you're giving me, and forget it. And that's why it says, so if you look down at Pasu Kaveh, that's where he tells you what's the problem. So what he's saying to them is, and then later on, he says, Me tendis right? Just somebody shut the doors already. Just shut it down. Forget it. You know, n- none of this is necessary. For HaKadosh Baruch Hu to say that is, first of all, very concerning. Because what it says to us is that mitzvot are not these magical acts that just suddenly make God very, very giddy because we've seemed to do them. It does require a very basic nature, very basic, that the endeavor that you and I find ourselves in as the members of Israel is a covenant with God in where he loves us and we are meant at least to try to love him. And what that means is that if we begin to see the mitzvot as tasks that need to be accomplished, we're already bordering on moving outside of the framework. Another way of saying it is we see the mitzvot as intrusions on our lives that we have to do so that we don't burn in hell, excuse me for saying, right? We are not in the context of what a mitzvah is meant to be. So that's a very huge issue. Now, if we say, right, they say we're not there yet, right? We do recognize the mitzvot as something that is hard for us to be able to. What we need to work on is to be able to recognize that, listen, am I interested in connecting with HaKadosh Baruch or not? Or am I just afraid of what will happen to me if I don't? So what the Rambam says about that, he says this in the first chapter, he says, excuse me, in the 10th chapter of Hilchot Teshubah, I'll read it to you. I don't think I put it on here. Is the following. 
he says, look, not everybody at square one is ready to do this, which is why we have all of these stories of B'nai Israel for a thousand years messing up. Because they're for all intents and purposes children, right? They're primitive human beings. Even in their own relationships and own marriages, it was not necessarily a given that love was a big part of it, right? I mean, you know, if they if there was, then great. But that's not how people married, not until yesterday. I mean, you know, for the majority of human history, people married for logistical reasons. And if there was love involved, well, great, that's a bonus. Yeah, that didn't mean that people didn't fall in love. They just didn't necessarily marry the people that they fell in love with. Okay, fine. But this is also why, by the way, that uh, Harambam says over here. So you, I'll read this to you. Listen carefully, right? So this is how Harambam closes out Hilchot Teshuvah. And he basically sums up this idea here. And he says, look, there is training. We don't expect that people right out the gate are going to come into this whole endeavor loving. We don't expect that. We expect, like you say, that it's human nature, that people, they're looking out for number one. And if they're brought into this system, they're going to do it because of fear. So the Rambam says, Al yomar adam harreni oseh mitzvot ha-Torah ve'oseh ve'chokhmata k'deh she'kabel t'abrachot ha-kduvot ba'o k'deh she'ezkeh l'chaya olam ha-ba ve'efrosh min ha-berot she'ezkeh l'Torah mehen Rambam says, a person should not say, I am hereby doing the mitzvot of the Torah so that I can attain the brachot that are mentioned in it or that I should get olam haba. And so too, a person should not say, I am keeping from transgressing the things in the Torah so that I should not avoid the curses in the Torah and avoid ginnah or whatever, not olam Now notice that the Rambam says, al yomar adam harreni. Right. What the Ram says, you may be doing that. Don't say it. Don't make a statement that this is what I'm doing. It may be that that's why you're doing it. And if you're honest and true with yourself, you can come to be true and honest with yourself and recognize that that's what it is you're doing in hopes that one day you'll grow into a better understanding, love and care. And so it may be a very rocky journey, whatever. There may be ups and downs. But don't say as though you are proclaiming this is what you are properly doing. Don't say that because it's wrong. It's the wrong way to do it. And that's what the next words he says. En it's not appropriate to serve God this way. So the fact that you are serving God this way, okay, that's one thing. We'll deal with that. You hope to be able to get better. Don't say this is the way I'm serving God. That's already a disaster. And then he says, The person who serves that way clearly is serving out of fear of what's going to happen to him. So it's all about you. It has nothing to do with God. It just has to do with gods of reality that you have to deal with. Because he's got these curses and blessings over your head. This is not the way that the prophets, nor did the wise people serve God. Right? This is not people who understand what the whole thing is about. They don't serve this way. Who serves this way? Don't get upset. He says, who serves this way? Ignorant people, women, and children. Now, why does he include, I'm sorry to say, why does he include women in that? Because in Harabam's time, women were not educated. It was just part of society. That's the way society ran. It wasn't necessarily right, but, uh, but he's going to redeem himself over here, right? Because you'll see what he says. He says that's how they start. Ignorant people and women and children who are not formally educated start that way. But we start with them saying, this is what you should do because if you don't, until their knowledge becomes greater. And that is going back on everybody. The ignorant ones, the women, the children, doesn't matter. Everybody is expected to learn more, to know more. So that, and that they should serve from love. And all Harambam is interested in, ultimately in his whole book, this entire thing, is moving from fear to love. 
which is why the next book is love. So what does he say about, what does it look like to serve from love, says the Rabbi. A person who loves God engages in the mitzvot for no ulterior motives. That's what lo davar ba'ala means, not for some other thing in the world, right? But for the sake of the mitzvot themselves. Because they're afraid of the bad things that are going to happen, not because they're looking forward to good things that are going to happen. As a result of it, they do the mitzvot. Why? They do what's true because it's true. And what's the truth here in mitzvot? Not that mitzvot are eternal truths. They may be, right, as part of the Torah. But the point of the truth over here is that they are the true nature of our lives. Why? Because we're in covenant with God. It's what our people are. It's the definition of what it means to be a Jewish person. And so you do mitzvah, why? Because it's your identity. That's why you do mitzvah. What else would you do? So if that sounds strange to you, right? Well, then we've got work to do. But that's what the Rabbah is. That's the point of the mitzvah. Is. What else would you do? As a Jewish person who acknowledges the covenant, who recognizes this is the ultimate defining nature of your life as a Jewish person, what else could it be? Nothing else makes you a Jew. You'll say, well, my mother does, right? Yes, but that's a very different covenant. Not very different, but it's a different covenant. The covenant of your mother being Jewish is the covenant of Abraham Avinu. The covenant that we're talking about over here is the covenant of Har Sinai. And the covenant of Har Sinai, where Kadosh Baruch Hu, who makes this preamble and says to the people, I will be your God, and you will be my people, and will be treasured among all the other nations of the world. That's in terms of this covenant that includes mitzvot. And if I see myself as a member of Kalal Israel who stood at the foot of Har Sinai, well, then there's nothing else for me to do except that. Now, it's possible for Jewish people to reject Har Sinai. Well, then fine. Then none of this applies. Don't do the mitzvot. But if you're doing the mitzvot, it's because you recognize that's a reality. And if you recognize that's a reality, then there's only one reason that you do that. Because it's the true thing, it's the right thing to do. It's what it's, it's the truth of my life. And he closes. And then he talks about the fact of Allah. And he says at the end, or towards the end, he says, Kol shir hashirim mashal hu He says, the entire book of Shir Hashirim is a parable or an ana- it's a metaphor to this point. So what is Shir Hashirim? A love story. What a kind of a love story. It's an adult love story between two spouses, two mutual adults who are in love with each other. And what Haram, and what Haram Bam is saying is that is how we are supposed to relate to HaKadosh Baruch Hu us. That's the nature of the relation, which is why Rabbi Akiva says about Shir Hashirim, Kol Hasparim Kodesh, all of the books of the Bible are holy, are special. Shir Hashirim Kodesh Kodesh. Shir Hashirim is holy of holies. Are you with me? Sorry, sorry. Is it? Right. So it's it's important to ask that, right? It's important to understand how it is that that fits. If you recognize that you are in this world co-creating your life with the ultimate creator and that you are always in a joint endeavor with this partner and that this partner has things that he can contribute to your life, right? You do this as a mutual work and you share with this person, this person, you share with this entity, yeah? The things that you're thinking, the experiences that you have, the worries that you have, you certainly say, I'm, I'm very grateful to you for, for who you are in my life and what you mean to me. And these are the things that I'm dealing with. If you can help me with them, it would mean so much to me. That's very, very different. That's love. You don't do that with your spouse. If you genuinely love this person, you tell this person, listen, you know, this is what I'm going through. I'm thinking about this and I'm not sure what to do. What do you think? And very often your spouse say, well, you know, you can do this, 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 this. Well, yeah, thank you, sweetheart. That's right. Okay. What are you doing? It's exactly the same thing. 
If you look at it as though he's the big giver and you're the big taker, well, then of course that's how you're going to look at it. And that's why people say, who am I? I'm not worthy to ask God. And that's a bunch of nonsense. That shows that the person is a huge, arrogant fool. Why? Because all you're thinking about is yourself. Not you. Saying the person is only thinking about oneself. And thinking, okay, I got to get audience with God because he's, you know, he's going he's to make this happen for me. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess if you look at it that way. Yeah. What you're describing is mutuality. Yes. The mutuality depends on a two-way relationship. Correct. What can we give God that he doesn't already have? Where's the mutuality you. relationship? What can you give God that he doesn't already have? You. Like Chazal say, Hakol bidei shavayim. Everything is in heaven's hands. Except your awareness of heaven, right? Your fear of heaven, your reverence of heaven. That's entirely in your hands. And that, kaviachol, so to speak, HaKadosh Hu does not have. He wants you. And you are the only one that can give him you. And you can withhold you from him as well. That's entirely in your hands to do. Now, if you go through this world as a joint endeavor with him, right, and saying, you're my partner. That's the best partner that you can have in the world. There's no question about it. But you need to know that that's the reality of it. And there's doubt that people have with regards to that. And okay, so be it, right? But one then navigates one's life in that doubt. But that's the goal. The goal is to do this as a joint endeavor with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You stand up in prayer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu as your partner. Seems like we lost audio. Because people tend to think that love does not include reverence. And that's a terrible mistake. Of course it does. In other words, an individual that you love very, very much, you can speak quite openly to. You can speak quite, uh, you know, casually to. But if you overstep or if you do something that kind of breaks a boundary, you're going to hear about it. And it matters much, much more with somebody that you love than it does with an average uh, acquaintance. Yeah? So if you forget uh, to say goodbye to your wife before you leave the house, usually it doesn't go over well. <laughs> right? Usually it doesn't go over well. If you forget to say goodbye to an acquaintance, uh, that, it's not necessarily polite, but... You're not going to have to deal with it later on in the day, and it's not going to have to be something you explain. I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention. You don't pay attention. I don't matter. Mm-hmm. Right? Those things are very important. So, what the structures of shul do, or the structures of communal prayer, anyway, do, and even in terms of our own private prayer, there are rules. Right? Those rules help us maintain appropriate boundaries. Because if those boundaries are not held, I lose myself. I lose Akadosh Baruch Hu in terms of himself, and then and things begin to break down. So structures are very important in life. Very, very important. All right? So that's why halakha, right? You know, how do you do this? What's the right way to do it? Now, it's true. All of it can deteriorate, right? In other words, you know that this is, what I, this is the right way to do things. And you lose yourself in the ultimate reason for why it is I'm doing it. All one focuses on how to do it. Well, then, yes, we've lost the plot. 
That's possible. That's again, it goes back to the question of human nature. What the Rambam is saying is don't, don't, uh, uh, don't lose yourself in doing it. It's important to be able to recognize this is the goal and this is what we're doing. So take a look, for example, in Dvarim, Yod, right? Deuteronomy 10. A beautiful uh, statement of Moshe Rabbeinu before he dies. What does he say? He says, He actually asks the question, he goes, what does God want from you? He comes right out and asks the question. He puts it out to them before he dies. And he says, Look, he wants you to fear him. What does it mean to fear him? It means, it doesn't say, right? It doesn't say that you should be frightened of God. In this sense, the fear means that you should have proper reverence of God. You should not be careless and non-thinking and nonchalant and, un, and indifferent to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. His presence should mean something to you. You should feel at attention when he is engaged, when you are engaged with him. Yir'auto. What else? Lechet Walk in his ways. If this is a mutual relationship, if this is a covenant, then walk in his ways. Don't walk in other ways. Ahavauto and love him. You don't know how to love him? Learn how to love him. Get to know him. To know him is to love him. Ahavauto. To serve him with all of your heart and all of your soul. And then it says, after all of that, to keep his mitzvot as I command you today for your good. So the Ramhal points something out beautiful about this person. He says, you know. You talk about the mitzvot and studying the mitzvot and doing the mitzvot and fulfilling the mitzvot and so on and so forth. So one of the questions he asks the opening of the Mitzvah al-Sharim is, what about loving God? Loving God is a mitzvah. How much do you study about that mitzvah? Right, you can learn about sukkah, an entire masechet, how high it should be, how wide it should be, what's a pasul sukkah, what's a kasher sukkah, what kind of schach can I use, what kind of schach can I not use. What I mean, you literally have an entire message, and then that's just the sukkah, what about the lulav and the etrog, right? What does the etrog need to be, how high the lulav, what's the length of the lulav? We study and study and study and study. And those were, and, and that's with any mitzvah. Want to talk about tzitzit? We can talk about tzitzit too. We can do a whole thing on tzitzit. Want to talk about tzitzit? Talk about tzitzit. Want to talk about uh, Nerot Shabbat? Talk about Nerot Shabbat. What happens if you light them? There's a whole Mishnah. What, what oil can you use in order to be able to light the Nerot Shabbat? And so on and so forth. So he asks a very simple question. He goes, and how much time do we spend on the question of the mitzvah of love of God? Not much. Really? Well, shouldn't you spend time with that mitzvah? He says, he goes, yeah, it's pretty simple. That's interesting, he says, because loving God and fearing God is one of the 613, two of the 613 mitzvot, and yet in these psukim, they're singled out, which means that they're highlighted, because then it says, So not only are they like all the other mitzvot that they should, we should spend at least as much time trying to understand the details of them, they're singled out, which tell us that they are in some way are meta mitzvot, right? They are the overarching mitzvot for all the other mitzvot. And those come first to contextualize everything else. And only after that does he say, it's the last thing that's said. These are the pre preliminaries. This also tells you about the nature of what a mitzvah is meant to be. So, in short, a mitzvah that is not performed within this context has the potential to cease to be a mitzvah. Even though the behavior is the same, the act is the same, all of it looks the same. But if I'm performing it in some foreign context, it no longer is the mitzvah that was commanded in a very specific context. And therefore, the Rambam writes at the end, also in Hilchot Teshuach, and this I'm not sure if I put on the pages for you or not, I don't know if I did. I didn't. I'll read it for you. <laughs> all the pages, and I have to read you, I have to put the presenter here. ones that I want to put with you. He says this in Hilchot Yeshuvah in the seventh parish. He says as follows. He 
says, Kama ma'ala me'olata teshubah. How high is the level of teshubah? When a person actually comes to God in clarity, they know what their life is about, they know what the mitzvot are about, they know it all. How wonderful is it? It says, I mean, just yesterday, before the teshubah, this person was separated from God. Separated from God. This is a good segue into the Avera part, right? It says, your, your iniquities separated me from you. So, all right, now listen carefully. What are the iniquities? He now defines what the iniquities are, or the sins. What are the sins? So, person is praying, is not answered. He would do mitzvot, they'd rip them up in his face. Sounds a bit strange. It doesn't say that he's doing averot, and this person was eating trefot, and uh, sleeping with the wrong people, and uh, hurting the downtrodden, and not giving tzedakah. doesn't say that. What was he doing? He was praying. Nobody was listening. He was doing mitzvot. They were ripping him up in his face. Well, it doesn't sound like Averot to me. It sounds like the person was doing mitzvot. But there was something wrong. The person was doing mitzvot outside of the context of tshuva, which essentially means outside of the context of connection to God. That's what tshuva means, to return to God. And that's why he says over here, Avonachem ayu mavdilim b'diyubinachem. Your iniquities separated you from me. Now it's interesting that he uses, the pasuk uses the word avon. Avon is not avera or chet. Avon comes from where, take a look, this is on your papers. Avon comes from the following, take a look, the last page. Avon is from the root iva. You see? At the top of the last page. What is it? Bent, twisted. That's the concrete meaning of it. Iva is bent or twisted, which is another way to say that it's corrupted. Right? It's, it's no longer upright. It's no longer straight. And that word ends up becoming perversion or corruption. Why? Because it's talking about the person not being upright and straight. Right? It's the person being bent and twisted. So like we would say, this is a twisted individual. Yeah. And that's what Avon is. Avon is not an actual transgression. Avon is a state of being. It's a state of being of corruption. And that's why eventually it ends up being used, if you look in the third uh, line, sin. It's synonymous with sin. Why? Because what causes you to be in such a state? Well, sin. But Avon is a statement of, of, of the existential nature of an individual. And what that pasuk is saying is your corruption. And this is not just moral corruption, right? It's just the, the lack of clarity. In the, another way to say it is the lack of integrity in you, right? You're not an integrated, flowing being, right? There is brokenness. There is lack of clarity. There is an inhibition and blockage to the flow of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in your life because you do not allow for that presence to be in one's life. And what this halakha is saying, right, is you require tshuva. And tshuva means to return to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Because otherwise there's been these separations which keeps HaKadosh Baruch Hu at bay. And if a person is separated and doing mitzvot in that place of separation, the mitzvah is not a mitzvah because the mitzvah has to be in the context of this, that your endeavors to trying to get close to HaKadosh Baruch Try to engage with him. You recognize this is HaKadosh Baruch offering to you to engage. This is you engaging with him. This is the active manifestation of the covenant. It's not just, I want to do this so that I get some bracha. And that's why it is such an aberration. And I'm going to say this, I, I really am going to say this unabashedly because, you know, I really think it's terrible. When people say, do this mitzvah, It'll do something good for you. You get mazel for it. It's horrible to do that. You should run the other way from doing it. Because that's exactly what the Rambam says. Don't say you're doing it for that. 
So somebody else says it for you. And one must be very, very careful about that because it's very dangerous. You can see it's very dangerous. So it's wonderful if as a result of doing good and truth, goodness comes as a result of that. Okay, wonderful. But why would you want to do anything that isn't true anyway? Right? I mean, it's not real. This is the reality of our lives. So that's what Harambam says. He says here, what is a person doing? They're praying. They're not being heard. They're doing what they're ripping them up in their face. There's such a reality. How could you tell them? What would it mean? Well, that's what it means. So when we recognize the nature of mitzvah this way, it changes for us. And even if we're not necessarily there yet, practice. Practice is good. And that's why we tell little children, for example, right? We try to teach them good behavior, even though they have no clue, nor are they interested in it. So, you know, your son hurts another little kid. Yeah? What do you teach them? Say you're sorry. That kid's not sorry. Right? Maybe they are, right? But it doesn't matter. Because when asking, are you sorry? Do you think you can say you're sorry? Now? We don't, very, say you're sorry. Why? The child should learn that that's the right thing to do. And eventually, as the Rambam says, until they become to learn more, and they do it. They want to say they're sorry. They recognize they want to make amends. They want to be able to make things better. So on whatever level, we're all children. And we're spending our time, hopefully, trying to learn how to be able to do this. So I had other things on your pages, but again, like I said, because of the constraints of time, I can't go into all of it here. But the Rambam and the Morin Nebuchim, he writes very clearly that the mitzvot are means to an end. And the means to the end that the mitzvot are is to be able to know God. And these bring us and train us towards that. They are not ends in and of themselves. The end is to know Akadosh Baruch to be connected with him. And these give us opportunities that don't help, that, that don't pull us away from getting there. That's why the Rambam says so. This is the explanation. This also is on your papers, but I'll say it to you out loud. The Rambam says, says Rabbi Baruch That's the last Mishnah Makot. Right? Says that Rabbi Hananiyah Merakashah said, Akadosh Baruch wanted to give merit to Israel. Therefore, he made Torah mitzvot plentiful. Made a lot of it. What's the explanation of that? The simple explanation most people think is more mitzvot, more merit. You do more, you get more. Says the Rambam, or you learn more Torah, you get more merit. Says the Rambam, no. The reason why there's so much of it is better odds. Better odds to do one right. The more opportunities you have, the better your chances of getting one right. If you only have one opportunity to do something, you miss it, you miss it. And he says, and I'll read this to you if you want to have a look at it quickly. Um, that's the first thing on the pages at the top. Okay. Yeah. He says, Me'ikareha Torah. One of the fundamental principles of Torah, this is fascinating, right? He says, That when a person fulfills one mitzvah from the 613 mitzvot of the Torah appropriately in the manner it is meant to be performed, right? Like all that we just mentioned, that a person is doing it out of love, there's no ulterior motives, he's completely interested in bonding with Kadosh Baruch who doesn't see the mitzvah as an intrusion, doesn't see the mitzvah as a cumbersome thing. All of that, right? There is no ulterior motive. He doesn't include in it anything from any other elements of the world in any way, shape, or form. A person does it for its own sake, out of love. Like I've explained, that one mitzvah that brings a person into Olam Abba. And what is Olam Abba? It's simply a place that we have more connection with Akadosh Baruch without encumbrance, right? without any barriers. And that's why Rabbi Hananya said, Why you say that? 
Because when you have so many of them and you will live a life doing them, it's impossible that in your lifetime you're not going to do one right. Of course, you'll be, you'll be taken off guard or you'll just love God for one day or whatever. You just do one right. It's not possible. And in that, he finds life with that one deed. Yes, but good luck. Right, that's why practice makes perfect. And so we practice. These are regular daily acts of love that we engage. And that's what it is. So when a person recognizes that, when a person has a sense of that, it frames the entire nature of how it is that a person engages in this world. But those are the questions that we have to, have to ask ourselves. Like, what are we in this for? If it's not about God, and it's not about a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch well, then we really have to ask the questions again. We have to really consider, well, why are we doing this in the first place? But that's the point. That's what Teshuvah is about. It's about returning to HaKadosh Baruch it's about returning to a true integrated self and the relationship of that self with the one who made you. And any time that we lose sight of that, we lose the plot. And it is possible to lose the plot in religiosity. It's possible to lose the plot in what, what, what is the, you know, in, in the meticulous halachot. The halachot are very, very important. Why? Because you're doing something to the greatest being. In the most important relationship of your life. So yes, the details matter. But when the details matter more than the endeavor itself, and that entity is completely lost, and the endeavor is lost in the minutia of what's going on, that's problematic. And so it's easy to lose the plot, and one has to be very, very careful about that. It's only about the relationship that we have with the Kadosh Baruch and the covenant. It isn't about tikkun olam. It isn't about creating a moral society. It isn't about it being or legoyim. All of that is ancillary. All of that are good things that come out from this great thing we've got going on. None of that is the goal. There's only one goal. Dat Hashem. And that's it. It's your growth and your connection to Him which are, they happen in tandem, right? Because the more that one grows, the more whole a person becomes, the more open a person has, and the more ability a person has to actually connect with the Kadosh Baruch. person is not whole, is not integrated, has a lot of issues, right, that need to be worked out. Okay, so then one needs to work those things out and ultimately be able to build a closer relationship gradually with the Kadosh Baruch. That's how it goes, yeah. I think you've already said this, but people can't decide for themselves what suits them in terms of what works well to make a relationship with God. I can't mm-hmm. say, well, Shabbos isn't my thing. I'll mm-hmm. concentrate on, I don't know. Correct. Uh, you know, I have to follow the protocol, so mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. And how can we reconcile the idea that, even though we don't exactly understand what it is, that some mitzvahs, you know, I'm thinking of specifically about um, people that are able to know has a reward. You might think, hey, I'll have whatever. We define that we trust you on it. Then you might be doing it for non-covenantal love relationship rather than I want whatever this reward is. The question is is that there's mitzvot that have rewards and you might end up doing the mitzvot in order to be able to have the reward. There was also a point made before that you can't choose the mitzvah that either is relevant or not relevant to you. You need to accept the system, right? Because it's not a bunch of isolated mitzvot, right? It's right? It's remembering all the mitzvot and doing all the mitzvot as an entity, right? As, as elements of an entire system. So yes, that's true. And the second thing is, yes, the Torah gives indications of, intimations of what these mitzvot may provide for you on a local level, right? So it says, right? What is all of that? HaKadosh Baruch Hu saying, listen, I'm going to give you, it'll be good for you to do these things. Those are statements of HaKadosh Baruch Hu saying, I love you and these are the things that I'm committed to doing for you. If you're in, committed to being in the relationship, this is what I want to do for you. So it's like how, uh, you know, how I love you, let me count the ways. 
And it's uh, the same way the two people in love will say, I, I, I want to do this in this other way. That's part of loving, right? So if your only thought in that is, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep in the relation because I might get something you know, from what is the person says, well, okay, there's something missing there. If it's the love of the fact that you love me enough, that that's what you would do for me. And it makes me love you even more, right? Well, then that's great. That's fine. Again, it's all a question of the perspective and how it is that we engage. And it is very helpful to use human relationships in order to be able to understand this. Because who is God talking to after all, if not human beings, relating to human psychologies, human experiences, and human conditions? Torah spoke in the language of humans. So of course it's always going to be how it is that we understand things, and we should recognize that. Rabbi, it's a system where a, a, a minute proportion of a minute proportion of humanity can even approach, meaning that you know, who does mix up properly? Mm -hmm. And then there are people who have been in the boat, who have been to the drug, people who have been hot all the time. So it's fantastic that Hashem wants this, this love relationship, mm. but it doesn't put, put the bar very high. That's correct. It is the most precious thing in the entire world. There is nothing more precious than this. There's nothing more precious than this. So yes, the bar is very high. That's true. You're absolutely right. So look, there's always the breed of Abraham Avinu to fall back on, which is much more broad and much more general. And as long as your mother's Jewish, you know there's something special about you. Not that there isn't something special about human beings in general, right? There are, but there's this particular family that there's something about. That's always there. That's regardless of whether you're Shomer Torah, not Shomer Torah, you hold it, you don't hold it, that never goes away. And every single Jewish person has a right to that part of the government. But there's a whole nother, there's a whole nother layer, there's an entire other level in which it has to do with mutuality, like Rabbi Samuel said. The covenant of Abraham Avinu is not so much mutuality, right? It is HaKadosh Baruch Hu committing to Abraham Avinu and all of his descendants because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in love with Abraham. And he was so in love with Abraham, every grandchild of Abraham is special to him. And you get to write on that coat, on those coattails right here. But this covenant, this is a covenant that is to, to every member of Am Yisrael through all time in terms of mutual relationship and connection. And that is a high bar. It is, it is the most precious thing in the world to be had by anyone, really. I mean, if you, you look at it as it's the most precious thing in the world to have had. And so the most precious thing in the world, actually, it's pretty remarkable that we have such access to it. You know? Okay. Good. So not so much about sin tonight, which, okay, Maybe next time. Yeah. Maybe another year. But it's okay. Mitzvah is always always the more fun thing to talk about. <laughs> to talk about. Oh, there you go. Okay, thank you so much, everyone, for coming. Thank you so much, Chacham. And stay tuned for all of the uh, awesome things we're putting out. On Wednesday, we have, we're continuing our series on Talmud study and uh, how it was performed within the, the Geonim and the Svaradi Chachamim. And uh, we're excited to announce soon we're going to have a new book coming out. So stay tuned for that. And uh, with that, thank you so much, everyone. And apologies for that uh, technological nightmare. <laughs> and uh, bye-bye, everyone. Thank you.